Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode number 134 of ADHD for Smartass Women. So I'm just going to be straight up honest here. I suck at social media. I'm also not a big TikTok aficionado. I mean, good God, seriously, I'm supposed to subscribe to yet another social media platform? Uh, no. I see my next guest's TikTok posts all the time in my Instagram feed, and I think it's my Facebook feed too, and every single time I think, oh my gosh, why can't I be like that? She's clever, she's creative, she's funny as hell, And even better, she's totally to the point. She always gets to the crux of whatever it is that she's talking about in a way that is completely engaging. So recently, my fabulous podcast producer, Grace, and I'm just, I'm so excited I can actually say that finally. I figured after a million downloads, (laughs) I can. And she just has made my life so much easier. So anyway, Grace was telling me, you know, there's this woman Camden. And you know, she actually consults with ADHD women on their social media. And I'm like, get out of here. Are you kidding? Please get her on here now. So for this very reason, I am so delighted to introduce you to Camden Hainsworth. Camden lives with her husband and three, almost four daughters. I think she's got a bun in the oven. In Springville, Utah, she enjoys spending time in the nearby mountains, traveling, working on home improvement projects, and serving in her community and church. Camden worked as an educator in a variety of capacities for over 10 years. No wonder she's so fun. She has always felt the most fulfilled helping others realize their true potential. Camden? You're a woman cut from my own cloth. Years after her daughter was diagnosed, 
Camden received her own ADHD diagnosis at 36 years old and quickly began advocating and researching to learn how to build her new amazing ADHD life. She now helps solopreneurs with ADHD find their voice and translate that into their business, specifically with marketing and social media. Camden, did I get all that right? You sure did. It makes me feel like a million bucks. I should just listen to that introduction all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about positive emotion. <laughs> it's a big part of it. <laughs> and honestly, it is the total and complete truth. However, before we talk about ADHD and social media, can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. So give me the story. What happened? Why? Well, it's a it's a good question. I I was in um, a business and I had really pushed myself really hard for a good solid year in that business. This was undiagnosed ADHD, right? I was leading a team of of great women mostly. And it got to a point where it kind of led me to a mental breakdown. And uh, during that mental breakdown, I really just didn't feel like myself. Can I ask you, can I ask you what was going on with you in terms of um, what was just so overwhelming that you could no longer cope with it in your job? I think it was a variety of things, but it kind of came down to I was doing the same things that had gotten me success previously. And I was still doing those and implementing those strategies, but it wasn't allowing me to have much more progress. And you can only do the same thing over and over with no progress for so long without driving yourself crazy. I think the pressure of being outside of my comfort zone constantly was also extremely difficult without having a real good pause. Um, I, I was just being pushed too hard. And I think a lot of that was me pushing myself too hard, but also expectations that I interpreted of those around me. And so that led me to kind of this burnout, um, depression, didn't want to leave my bed, you know, really could only do the very most basic things to keep my kids alive, which really is quite the opposite of my normal personality. And so I knew something had shifted within me. If we think about my age as well, uh, at 36 years old, that's pretty common um, as hormones are changing and there's just this capacity in the ADHD brain to, um, or incapacity <laughs> to do the same things and hack our life the same way that we have, you know, in our teens and our twenties. So it all came, kind of came to a head. And, and it sounds like um, you also my had, diagnosis. You also had way more responsibilities, right? You had, you had kids now. I did. Yeah. I have three young kids and my oldest has ADHD quite intensely. And, uh, so they were all under, you know, they were six, five and three years old. So it was very busy as well. That's a lot. So what made you even consider, could it be ADHD or did you not consider it? And you went to the doctor and they were like, Hey, Camden, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Ironically enough, the subject that we're speaking on, <laughs> uh, social media and in the form of a ADHD meme was something that caught my attention. And, um, I just saw one and I can't remember if it came up on my Facebook feed or what it was, but it sent me down the rabbit hole of wanting to read more of them and see if I related with more of them, which then led me to other social media to get a hold of other professionals, um, psychologists, coaches, 
advocates, etc. And also my brother, who had been recently diagnosed, he's just a couple years younger than me. I started talking to him about his experience and what ADHD really was for him and what he had learned. And everything just started adding up very <laughs> clearly for me. And um, it was actually quite a relief to have a name and a diagnosis potentially uh, in the works for that. So after about mm, eight or nine months of learning and educating myself on it, I felt a real need to get an official diagnosis. And so I went and saw a clinician and talked to them about that. So Camden, um, had your daughter already been diagnosed? Yeah. Uh, my oldest uh, had been diagnosed when she was three and a half. Oh, and wow. yeah, so she was very young. And I think that this helped. I had my radar up because I was an educator and um, she's actually adopted. So there's not necessarily that biological tie that a lot of us can relate with when we have a child that's diagnosed and then we understand, oh, wait a second, <laughs> that that part of my brain was a little bit shut off just because we didn't have that biological tie. But it is really amazing to learn more about my own ADHD and thereby be able to help her understand hers now um, and vice versa, of course. Absolutely. And I think the statistic is that 46% of kids who are adopted have ADHD. So it's quite high. Isn't that so interesting? And it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're struggling, you can understand how you would get yourself into situations that would lead to, you know, having a child who's adopted, basically. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And thankfully, I actually know my daughter's birth mom. And so that really does help me understand her personality and, uh, you know, her genetics. So that is an advantage that I do have is understanding, okay, this, this, you know, the apple in the tree scenario. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is pretty interesting uh, to think about how many of these cute little um, kiddos often do have ADHD. So that's an interesting statistic. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD? Isn't this part so fun? <laughs> I love this part because it just starts putting, it's like a dot to dot coloring book. You just, oh my goodness, you start to put together this bigger picture. I was a quite a shy young child. I, I was, no. yeah, really? which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, no. I remember being glued to my mom's leg. I remember like not wanting to go to like slumber parties or anything because people did that back then, but right. <laughs> I, I got very homesick very easily. Um, I was always very, very well liked by my peers. And obviously as I grew up, I, my confidence uh, got more strong and things were better. But the one thing that remains consistent is in school. I was a very good student, but I'll tell you, tests totally stressed me out. Um, I would go completely blank. I had major test anxiety. I really had trouble with holding on to those short-term memory issues, kind of like um, dates, names, keeping things straight chronologically. Unless it was tied to something creative, like if I could make a song out of it, or if it was like creative writing, I did very well. But if it was something that was purely facts, it was very difficult for me to keep that really clear in my mind. I also was the kid with the messy desk. <laughs> I was very forgetful about things, um, but not to a detriment. I think my mom was 
she just saw that I was a good kid and trying my best. And so she was such a great support for me. And so I would say I, I didn't have those negative emotions tied to how I learned, thankfully. Um, but looking back, I, I always felt like I had to work 10 times harder throughout school and still didn't do as well as my peers. So I think for me, <laughs> those continue. <laughs> I mean, those are all things that I now understand about myself um, a little bit better. But now I can set myself up for success a little bit better now that I understand that they're tied to my brain and that it's not anything I'm doing wrong. It's just that I need to work with my strengths. Absolutely. So did your brother have the same symptoms? Hmm. Not necessarily. Wait, I'm getting confused here. Did you, didn't you tell me that your brother was um, ultimately died? Yes, you did. Yes, I did. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. And he had a lot of, um, he has generalized anxiety and ADHD. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you get like this, you know, messy gray zone (laughs) between the two. Yeah. But yeah, when it comes to, he was a musician growing up and um, he played in a, a band that would tour around Southern California and he could just never remember the chords to the songs. And then he started looking backward throughout his educational experience as well. And so um, while we do have a lot that in common where we can relate with, uh, there's still a lot of like um, open windows to both of our lives that we're learning to discover because it is such a new, new diagnosis. But it's so nice to have somebody that I can relate with within my own family. And, and of course, I have other siblings. I'm the oldest of seven. I have other siblings that have also been wow. diagnosed. Wow. Seven, huh? Yep. Seven of us. We love each other. <laughs> Your poor mom. Oh my gosh. I think it would be so great to have seven siblings now. <laughs> uh-huh. It is fun. It's really fun. We, we enjoy time. So it's great. And it's amazing that your mother was so there for you. You know, I mean, with seven kids, you could yeah. see that you would just sort of maybe go off on your own and, you know, but it sounds like part of the reason why You've come out on the other end of ADHD so well, I'm sure, is because of the support of your mother. And with seven kids, man, I take my hat off to her. Good, because she's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, every child has their own experience, right? We all have our own schema that we come to this world with and our own personalities. But from my perspective, I saw a really hardworking mom that loved her kids and tried her very best to show up for them. ADHD was not talked about back then and not nearly the same as it is now. And I just, I think she saw that she had all these great kids that were doing their very best and she was just there to support them. And of course, in hindsight, we can always feel like, oh, you know, I wish that this would have changed or this would have been better. But for me, especially being a mom myself, I'm like, you know what, we're bound to make mistakes and we're bound to miss things. And the one thing we can give to our kids is love and support. And that is definitely something that my mom gave us. I love that. Absolutely love that. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? I think my perspective and and the the kind of grace that I give myself when I would make mistakes, uh, it'd be really easy for me to beat myself up before uh, my diagnosis about being forgetful about something or reading instructions and reading them very, very carefully and still <laughs> not catching on to certain details, um, forgetting birthdays, yeah, um, that's a big you one. Know, showing up late when you think that you're on time, things like that, that just happens so often. I now feel like there's a reason behind it. 
And I know that it's not because I have poor intention or that I'm not paying attention. It's just that sometimes the information doesn't register in my mind. And I've also realized that if I surround myself by the right kind of people that understand the person that I am, understand that I am responsible, that I am on top of it, that I can be trusted, uh, that those minor details, they don't impact their life exactly the same as they would if we surround ourselves by people that are negativity spreaders <laughs> and, and not understanding. <laughs> I love it. I love it. They don't appreciate your gifts. Yeah. Okay, Camden. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, two weeks ago, I surpassed a million downloads on this podcast. So awesome. Thank you. I even created a post for my Instagram announcing this. Mm -hmm. And this is what's so ridiculous. It's been two weeks and I still haven't posted it. I have no idea why I struggle so much with social media. I have hired so many people to help me. I paid for so many social media plans, calendars, strategies. I fit on all the platforms. Yeah. Buffer, Co-Schedule, Meet Edgar, Smarter Cube, both of the ones that have plan in them, always thinking, okay, this is going to be the one. I never implement any of it. And the thing is, I've got a pretty good aesthetic. I'm a decent writer. Of course, I'm a better editor. What the hell is wrong with me? It is honestly the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I'm one of those, I'm like you, for every weakness, there's a strength. Let's focus on our strengths. But I'm sorry, when it comes to social media, I'm just going to say it. I am completely defective. <laughs> Why is this so hard? Oh, man. You know, I wish I had the answer. I'd love to delve deeper into that with you personally. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's for another podcast. But tell, um, me, tell me this, though. I cannot believe that I'm unusual. I No, do. you're not. Okay. Is this an ADHD thing? It so is. And that's why I decided to really niche down and put myself out there to help people just, you know, like you or, or solopreneurs that really want to, like I said in your bio that you read, um, you know, translate who they are in normal life, this dynamic, enthusiastic, passionate woman that you are, and in an easy way, be able to translate that into social media. And um, it's easier said than done. Social media does take work, but we want to work the right way. And the right way is getting to know yourself and how you want to translate into, um, you know, social media. So you touched on a really important thing when you said work with your strengths. You know, you kind of said it like, I already know this stuff. These are the like elementary school answers. <laughs> but what is really cool about social media is exactly what you just said is that there's there's a variety of elements Let's just take Instagram, for example. We have stories, we have lives, we have IGTV, we have reels, we have posts, we have your bio. There's there's a variety of ways that you could find your little niche, find your happy place in there, and just really focus on that. And then the other things are just kind of icing on the cake. Um, and so what I do is when I'm talking to people like you, I help you recognize, oh, okay, I can just take this thing that's already I'm naturally good at and I can put it on social media and that's going to be good enough? <laughs> and the answer is yes. <laughs> that a lot of it for many of us is, well, this is what I've noticed. I've noticed that if you're ADHD and this is social media is in your area of interest and genius, you're friggin' brilliant at it. I think some of the best social media accounts, they're run by those with ADHD. 
But if this is not in an area of extreme interest, it's just so hard. And probably the number one thing that, well, I'm not sure if this is the number one, but I think a lot of it is perfectionism. Yay. Yes. Exactly right. Absolutely. I, you know, I knew we were going to be talking. And so I just like jotted down um, some of the common challenges that my clients have with ADHD and social media. And that was the top one is overthinking it and perfectionism. And to that, I would say, who makes the rules? A lot of times we think that social media has to look one certain way has to look one particular way, has to have a certain kind of brand, a certain kind of color, a certain kind of visual aesthetic, right? And if it doesn't quite reach that idea that we have in our mind, which might not even be attainable, to be honest, then we feel like it's not good enough. Well, I'm queen of good enough. (laughs) And I saw that and I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm just queen of good enough. And, you know, I, I like to uh, relate it to building a puzzle, putting a puzzle, jigsaw puzzle together, right? We kind of have an idea, a big picture thought of what we want it to look like, but we can't do it all at once. And so with ADHD and social media, it's the exact same way. We do it one post at a time, each post, each story, each live, whatever we're doing, that's just a puzzle piece. And eventually when people come to our page, they will get the full picture. They'll, they'll be able to experience that feeling of Tracy, that feeling of her podcast, that feeling of what she wants her people to know and to understand and to relate to. But it can't happen in one post. So if we spend too much time in one post, we're just staring at one single jigsaw piece puzzle. <laughs> and it's really not, it's not helpful. <laughs> So I don't even know if I can explain this, but I'm going to try in everything I do. And I think this is definitely an ADHD thing and how our brains work. If we have kind of the big overall picture, then we're much better at filling in the little pieces and knowing where we need to go. So is that what you're saying? Tell me. When you work with someone with ADHD who needs to put together, let's say, an Instagram account, where do you start? Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the individual, but I I think I start with what they're comfortable with. So once again, we go back to our strengths. We go back to that individual's strengths. If they love to be in front of the camera, then let's just focus on stories. If they are a really good writer, then let's really get clear on those captions and those hashtags. If they are a great photographer and they love to put photography out there and like to work with different templates and and creative that way, then let's focus there. So I think building up our self-esteem, building up our confidence that our strengths can be the springboard to becoming better at our craft is important. But I would also, I one of the very first things I do, let's say for Instagram, is that I like to relate it to a brick and mortar storefront, okay? So you have a cute little boutique down the street and you like to visit it because they have cute jewelry and clothes and shoes and little knickknacks that you enjoy. I like to help them see that your Instagram is very much that way. We just don't happen to have a brick and mortar store. So for example... The bio that you put on your Instagram 
is kind of just like your business billboard. All right. This is something that you'll see driving down the freeway that's going to advertise it. People look up for maybe two to three seconds, see the visual and see the colors and the brightness and the messaging really fast. That's your bio. Uh, your stories that you're interacting with, that's as, as though somebody walked right into your shop and you're just talking to them about your day and about their day and you're complimenting them on their cute little dog and you're, you're just being your very best self. And your grid, all the posts that you make, that's like your storefront. Your storefront is going to change seasonally. You're going to have different messages out there. I know our local grocery store, they always have funny quotes out front. (laughs) That's going to be the welcoming piece of why people are going to want to come into your store. And if we look at social media more as our favorite boutique or something that we enjoy and that we're used to going to every day, I think it's less intimidating. And it gives us more freedom to say, oh, so that means that if I put something up on my storefront, you know, like a paint, you know, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, you know, on on my on my window, I can change it in a month. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) And so it gives us more freedom to uh, not be so locked in with how it has to look all the time. So do you find with uh, the ADHD brain, so your ADHD clients do they have to do it in a way that's less scheduled and more around emotion, meaning when they feel like it? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. (laughs) I think I would say like the highest percent, 80, 90% of my clients are all about the dopamine. They're all about, like you said, that interest driven, how am I feeling in the moment? And then I'm going to post versus uh, you know, having that very, like you were saying before, <laughs> this very scheduled out pattern of of your posts. Now, there's always going to be exceptions to the rules. And I think that has a lot to do with how busy you are and what the intent of your social media is. If your intent is just to entertain and it's not really to have an offer or to bring people, you know, to your business, then it really doesn't matter how you show up or when you show up. If the intent is to create a community, then your posts are going to need to be more about that community, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of scheduling, I am such a fly by the seat of my pants, you know, go with the moment, go with the emotions. And I honor that. And in the social media world that's non-ADHD, they call that inefficient. (laughs) And I I don't think that it has to be looked at that way. In fact, I've learned, especially on Instagram, if you're posting three to four times a week, then you're good. We have this idea in our brain that we have to be posting every single day in order to make growth. And that's just not the case. (laughs) There's a lot of days where I'll post something and then I don't do anything on my posts for, you know, three days and it's still growing. So uh, we have to take out some of those thoughts that maybe we've, we've been fed or told about what success looks like on social media. And just like you said, get really into, yeah, but what am I best at and how can I best show up? Do you find that on Instagram, most of your clients find stories to be the easiest because it's, it feels to me, it's really the only thing I can do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It feels to me like, and I'm not as good as I used to be on it. I used to really be good about, you know, just silly things like, If I was out in the garden and, you know, gardening, I would take images of all these heirloom roses I had just, you know, cut. 
bumblebees, you know, making not honey, but simple syrup from the lavender, you know, things like that. I was good at, really good at actually. But then of course it kind of fell by the wayside, but I just found that, or I find that stories because they, they are more of that sort of impromptu and they don't require all the text. I think it's all, as we're sitting here talking, I think what it is, is I really struggle with the Instagram feed. So the, is that what it's called? The posts? Yeah. Yeah. Your feed. Uh huh. Yeah. Or your and grid. I think it's because the grid because of the copy. And when you look at really good Instagram feeds, they just have this amazing copy. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a good, strong writer, but it is just you know, impossible sometimes for me to get myself in front of my computer and start to write. Totally. Yeah. I think that, um, I would say it's about half and half. A lot of the people that I work with, they are really uncomfortable being in front of camera. And so gaining that confidence in order to be vulnerable in front of something that doesn't seem like is real, <laughs> you know, it's not a person. We're very good connect at connecting with people in general, I'd say as ADHDers. Um, but yeah, that comfort level, I think, changes. However, having say, has said that, everyone that has really pushed themselves into the stories arena, they don't get off. <laughs> like They love them <laughs> until, of course, their, their dopamine shifts to another area or their interest, excuse me, shifts to another area. And once again, that's, that's the beauty of social media is that there are a variety of, of ways that we can be engaging. And it's really fun to see people start to come out of their shell. And now with things like reels and videos and IGTV, it takes it to the next step where you don't have to be as worried about the copy, like what you're saying, because that's the part I hate too. And I, I would consider myself a good writer as well. But I think that's the problem, right? Is we think it has to be perfect. And even when you were speaking, Tracy, you said, oh, I look at these really professional accounts and the copy is just always amazing. Well, I would challenge that thought. Honestly, because I see a lot of really great posts and all it is is a very simple quote or a beautiful photo with a, a very basic line. And, you know, it hasn't taken them very long, but it made a big impact. So just challenging those thoughts of what it has to look like and shifting it into what do I want it to look like? What do my people want to experience? How do they want me to show up in their life? And most ADHDers, do not want to read a long caption. <laughs> oh my God. That is friggin' huge, Camden. You're absolutely right. It's short, sweet, and to the point. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> exactly. Yep, you got it. Okay. Giving so yourself that permission. Thank you. Thank you so much for that permission. <laughs> yeah. So um, on stories, can you grow an account on using primarily stories, if that's pretty much your focus on, say, Instagram? Yes. You can. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if most people that are on Instagram these days, they have found are in stories. They're not nearly as much on that grid. And so that's where I actually encourage people to be engaging daily, even if it's one story. Mm -hmm. Even if it's, you know, each, each story is 15 seconds. And as ADHDers, we're very long winded. <laughs> and so, you know, by the time you know it, you've done four and you have a minute long story. Mm -hmm. And I just say, Hey, put like an engaging question at the end, say, you know, what are you doing this weekend? 
or how has ADHD impacted you positively this week? Put a question at the end or what do you like, red roses or pink roses? Whatever it is, that's going to boost your engagement for your business because that's what we're talking about right here. Entrepreneurism is going to boost your engagement. People are going to get to know you. Remember, stories are that open door. They've come into your storefront. They've come into your little boutique and they're going to get to know your personality in a variety of ways. And that is exactly where the algorithm is doing very well (laughs) in terms of Instagram, but also you are building that relationship of trust with your audience and with your future clientele. Hmm. Uh, One other question on stories. Does it make a difference to put a hashtag on there? Does it actually work with hashtags or is that more for the feed? The answer is yes. You can put hashtags in there and it can boost it, but I really don't worry so much about that. I'm much more into tagging people that are appropriately tagged. So don't spam tag, but I don't do that either. I just yeah. feel like, Oh my God, I can't do that to people. That's <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> but if someone's really inspired you, right. And you're talking about how they've inspired you, maybe they're an author, a podcaster, and you tag them a lot of the time that gives them opportunity to also share, which then opens up your community because they want those testimonials, right? If somebody's talking super positively about your podcast here and you're just like, oh my goodness, I learned so much about this. That's the kind of testimonial you want to put on your story and share. So in those occasions, that's building community. Oh my God. You're so, because I use those all the time. Half the time I miss them, you know, where it's like, oh, what was that? You know? Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I do share those. So why wouldn't they want to share them too? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Blowing my mind here, Camden. (laughs) Good. Yeah. And you're such a community builder, Tracy, too. And and most of us entrepreneurs are. We're doing this because we're heart-driven. Whatever passion project has then turned into our business, right? So we by honoring that, by honoring that that's the value of why we started our business in the first place is to impact people. How would we naturally do that? We'd say, oh my goodness, you have got to go try out the cute little ice cream shop down the corner. Their chocolate ice cream is incredible. They do something special with a crumble on top, right? That would be a very normal conversation we'd have as somebody was coming into our store, yet we shy away from being that normal (laughs) and that vulnerable and having that normal conversation in our stories when really that's going to build your community. It makes you relatable. It makes you real. And it also helps your algorithm in Instagram grow. So there's lots of positives going for you. You are absolutely right. I mean, I just think of something like Instagram or social media so differently, you know, like I'm bothering people and I'm, you know, that they're, I'm just always in their face. And yet if I, I'm a raver, you know, but I'm also the opposite. If something goes wrong, you're going to hear about it, right? (laughs) I don't do it in a rude way, but I'm very direct. But when I believe in something, I just can't shut up about it. I'm probably a little irritating. And I don't (laughs) do that on social media because I'm always, I'm always worried about, oh, I'm just going to bother them. You know, I'm going to be in their face again and I don't want to be. That's Um, a very normal feeling too, Tracy. And that's why, and I think it goes back to that perfectionistic mentality. But if you remember, this is a gift we're giving people and they can fast forward right through your rants if they want. 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, like they don't have to listen to it. In fact, most people that aren't interested, they just, they just keep fast forwarding. Mm -hmm. They just keep pressing through those and they're not even offended by them because they're just looking for what's going to resonate with them. And those right people that want to hear your rant, that want to hear your passion, they're going to stay there and then they're going to want to stay. So it's, it's all the perspective that you have on it. Most of the time when we want to have that fast forward button in real life, <laughs> well, now yeah. we're gifting them with one. Yeah. No, I never connected it and, and really saw that, oh, why is this any different than how you would act in real life? And that is probably my biggest problem is that I am not acting like I would act in real life, you know, because you don't know who's, and that was my big thing with video and probably a lot of your clients who are, you know, worried about getting out in front of a camera. I spent a whole year learning everything I could possibly do about live video. I just, the thought of not knowing who was out there, it just freaked me out. And finally, I worked with um, a woman, Sandra Centurino, who is fabulous at getting women specifically really comfortable in front of video. And I worked with her and I think it was day two. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is fun. This is no so big deal. And for good. a whole year, you know, I had made such a big deal about it. And it's the same thing, right? Where you're posting all the stuff. You don't know who's on the other end. You don't want to offend people or upset people. And that's ridiculous. We're ADHD. We just need to be who we are and not worry about all that. And like you said, the right people will show up. And the other people will will walk away or say something nasty, but you'll live. <laughs> yeah. And I think that sometimes because we don't know them or because we don't see them in front of us, it can get blown out of proportion, that rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, all of that thing, all those things that go along with it versus knowing a person, knowing how to resolve that, that friendship or whatever it might be, that it does feel different. But what's helped me personally, and I don't know if this will help other people, is that I show up as Camden every day in my tangible life. And if I can show up as her in my online life the same way, I don't have to compartmentalize those. Most of the time, you know, 99% of the time people are going to see me as I am. And I hope that that's somebody that's trustworthy, that's kind, that's loving, that's passionate. But every so often, I'm going to offend someone, even in my normal life. And social media, yes, it can reach more people quickly, but we don't have to take, we don't have to take that on ourselves as I'm not going to show up or I'm going to fail ahead of time because I'm I'm afraid of offending people. Well, you know, that's just part of life. Uh, Think of how many people you could impact by just being yourself positively. Absolutely. Okay. I've got another question. How important is engagement? As I was saying, I just feel like I'm on all these platforms and I get so much, so much incredible feedback, right? emails and text messages. And and I really struggle to keep up. So typically when I'm responding back, it's like two days later because that's how long it takes me to see it. That's awful, right? No, not necessarily. (laughs) Um, I, I think, Tracy, that you just get to look at where you are in your business and where you feel like where is the energy need to go in order for the momentum to continue to flow, right? And if you feel like, you know what, it's time for me to really start to uh, build up my Instagram community more. 
I'm going to put a little bit more of my eggs in that basket, then that's your choice and you get to own that choice. But if the podcast itself is where you feel the most comfortable and you every so often, like you said, even if it's two days later, get to get back to these people, it doesn't make you any less of engaging um, now, maybe for the algorithm per se, <laughs> but that's, that's your life and you get to choose it. And I think that's another thing is this expectation of what it means to be successful on social media. I have about 125,000 followers on TikTok. And sometimes when my videos go viral, I can come back a half hour later and have 200 comments. <laughs> well, oh my gosh, I'm a mom of three who's very tired and pregnant at the moment. <laughs> and I, I don't have time to be away from my children to respond to all of those. So what I've decided to do is every time I get onto that app, I just go ahead and I respond to a couple of them, one or two that catch my eye. And I just go back and I respond to them. And I know that for those people, it will be meaningful. And now I would say in your DMs, right, the messages that are directly to you, if there's somebody that's new or somebody that's um, in need, then you get to it when you can. But you know that that's because you care. You're honoring your boundaries. You're honoring your family and your values. It's not because you don't not care about them. So, uh, yeah, I think just own however you want to show up uh, on social media. Now, on the flip side of that, for those people who want to know how to engage with the algorithm, yes, I would say 10 to 15 minutes before you post something that you get on your feed and you start answering questions, you start engaging, liking things, you know, commenting, and then go ahead and post and then do that for a few minutes afterward and be there for those comments that are coming through. But that's that's for the people that are really looking to start growing on their Instagram. Uh, whereas you are very well established and you have multiple platforms that you're already on, that's stress and that it's just unnecessary. Well, thank you. Um, okay, I have one last question. Um, your TikTok. Yeah. How much work is that? You make it look so effortless. It always looks like you're having so much fun. Is, is that in fact the truth? It's easy for you, it's fun. Do you ever sit, I'm, I, I'm doing exactly what an interviewer should not be doing, which is ask one question after another. No, um, you're good. I'm feeling it. <laughs> but I'm wondering, <laughs> do you ever sit back and go, oh crap, I got to post on TikTok? Or is it just, you just always love, love it. It's easy for you. Oh, heavens no. It is definitely work. <laughs> it, is, it is definitely work. When I first started out, I was really excited about it. My brother introduced me to it. He, the same brother that has ADHD, he has his own platform as well. Oh. He's like, you've got to get on this. And we both have performance backgrounds. And uh -huh. so it kind of made its way into it because TikTok, you can follow trends that are dancing or being goofy or, you know, that, that was actually very interesting to me and fun. And so at the beginning, I was posting two to three times a day for about nine months. Isn't that crazy? Yes, but it's so hyper-focused, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. So I would say during that time, it was a lot of fun. It did take up a lot of time. Each one probably you know, ranged from anywhere from 10 minutes to two hours. So it just depended on you know what we were doing. I was also learning a lot about my own ADHD. And so it was a joy to share and to make content based upon what was new to me. It was it was such a joy. It was such an interest-driven activity. Um, 
once my business started getting off the ground and I was able to help more people and even more so when I got pregnant and was exhausted and sick, (laughs) um, it then became a lot of work. And so I actually backed away from TikTok and started working more on Instagram because there was less editing. I could do more in my stories. I could do more with sitting down and taking time just typing a quote out. And so that's that's where I say it's kind of nice to have a, a couple irons in the fire, but just focusing on the one where you want to drive traffic and where you want to give value the most. But it's it's nice to have the switch back and forth. I, I love TikTok. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think it's an incredible platform. I think the algorithm really can reach the audience that you're looking for in a, in a very powerful way that's different from Instagram and other social media platforms. But don't don't fool yourself, you guys. It, it does take time and work. <laughs> so do you ever sit there and go, oh, God, what am I going to post today? Or do you always have an idea of what you want to create? No, I don't always have an idea of what mm-hmm. I'm going to create. That's usually when I will go listen to a podcast or I'll go read an article or I'll, I'll go get inspired somewhere or I'll just say, meh. I don't want to do this today. (laughs) And that's where that permission comes in, right? You know, it's, I guess it's easier for me to say that now that I've really put in the work and, you know, that's normal when, when you, when you're posting two to three times a day, you have a community, it gives you a little bit more flexibility in your growth on social media. However, we always have the choice. So if you just want to put something out there, uh, you're brand new at Instagram, brand new at TikTok. It's better to get something out there than nothing, in my opinion. But make sure that that's something there that you don't give yourself a guilt trip about it, that you find some kind of, you know, value there for it or else you're just going to get lost. You're going to get lost in the the drama of social <laughs> media. So basically, you're telling us what I believe is true, frankly, for all ADHD brains If you're not having fun, if you're not in positive emotion and you're on a social media platform, forget it. We need to be in positive emotion in order to make anything work. Yeah, that's where our our authentic selves show up. You're exactly right, Tracy. Yep, that's, I mean, we could force ourselves to do things, but people will see right through it, especially if your audience is for ADHD. (laughs) Because we are very tuned into that, I think, a lot of the time. I completely Um, agree. So Camden, what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? Ooh. Mm. Well, I think like we talked about earlier, having to have worked so much harder, or at least how I perceived it, than my peers, I I really learned determination um, very young. uh, That if I wanted something, if I had a passion inside of me, that it was going to take all of me. and that has worked very well for my business. Uh, and I would say that a lot of ADHDers have developed that in their zone of genius, uh, in their passions, is that determination to see things through to the end. And now having said that, I've um, also learned that my creativity, trusting my creativity and trusting my problem-solving skills when things aren't quite going exactly how I'd like them to, trusting myself that I will come up with a solution has also been extremely beneficial. I've mentioned it multiple times, but I feel like in the ADHD community, we're very good at connecting with people. 
and we're really, really good at understanding people and, and seeing things from multiple perspectives. Uh, I think it's because our brain <laughs> sees things from multiple perspectives all the time. <laughs> and so getting to know humans that way, getting to know other people's strengths and seeing that we don't have to have the right answer, that we can take experience and knowledge and expertise from others and apply it to our life and be in our creativity, I think has been really awesome. I am a huge hyper-focuser that is, <laughs> and I follow that. I, I take pride in that. I take pride that my newest idea is something that's awesome. And then, of course, I've learned how to coach myself on a little bit of constraint and being very precise about where I choose to hyper-focus and spend my time. Wonderful. Uh, so I think those are some of my good ones. Yeah. Do you have a number one ADHD workaround for us? Yeah, I do. <laughs> but I don't know if it's anything new, but I I would say visuals for me is my number one ADHD workaround. I was sitting in my chair upstairs thinking about that and uh, visual cues and uh, visual organizers. And this can be so basic. I label drawers. <laughs> I uh, I do have calendars, but they're not ultra there's not a lot of rules to the calendar. It's just the fact that it's visual because um, I'm a visual visual learner as well, which many of us are. And it, just by seeing something, it triggers everything else that goes with it. So if I can get it out of my head, out of my phone and into the tangible environment around me, it seems to really help. Chore charts for me, that works. Like I said, labels, calendars. Um, I have whiteboards around my house but only the way that makes sense to you. Just because it's making sense to me <laughs> doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So, uh, but I am a, yeah, a huge believer in that. And I actually really like aesthetics. Like I love design in my home, but I have found that I have to sacrifice a little bit of my design sometimes for functionality and being okay with that and giving myself permission about that has also helped a great deal. You know, that's so interesting. I was just um, watching Seth Perler and he he's an executive function coach. You probably know who he is, but maybe our listeners don't. I think he's awesome. And he works with kids. And what I was watching was all about, you know, the, the most important executive function skill that you need to work on over the summer. And it was planning, by the way. And he was saying that uh, the best way to do that with kids is visual, 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 make it visual. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly what you were saying, you know, so. His well, and maybe that's why. Maybe it's because of my kiddos being so young and needing, like, it's hard enough for me to organize my own brain, let alone three little kiddos. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, just trying to find a way for our family to be functional. That's where I landed. And in... <laughs> In helping them, it also helped me in return. So maybe that's why. I don't know. That's awesome, Tracy. Although it helps me too, Camden. I mean, there were two things that I needed to take care of today. And I literally, I got off of my Peloton, went down to my, my desk, wrote them both on a post-it note because I knew that if I didn't have a visual reminder, I would forget. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm exactly like you. And I think many of us are. It's, it's all about the visual. So anyway, Camden. Is there something that you're working on that you want to tell us about? Well, I am really happy to be able to serve, like you said earlier, solopreneurs. That is my my happy place right now. 
And of course, I am always here to support any any person with ADHD, especially those of us who are late diagnosis going through this process. So you can feel free to DM me there. But yeah, I after maternity leave, my my next thing that I'm going to be working on is some small group coaching specifically for social media um, for solopreneurs. And so if you are interested in learning more about that, then getting on my email list would be the best way to know when that launches post maternity leave. <laughs> and what would that email be? You can email me at the ADH directory at gmail.com, or you can just go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter and email there, which is the same thing, the ADH directory.com. The ADH directory, right? Yeah, you got it. Uh huh. So the okay. D directory. <laughs> okay. So all of that will be posted in the show notes. Camden, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. This was super fun. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Tracy. You're doing such great work. Thank you. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Camden, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And guess what? Your reviews really help in that regard. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio or written message. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.